Good morning, church. So very good to see you this morning. As always, I love and appreciate you. I'm excited about this series that we're about to start this morning uh, as we're continuing to work our way through uh, the book of Acts. I've entitled this section, Villains, and I'm, I'm excited about this series. Maybe it's because I, I really love stories. I, I really love movies. I love movies too much. It, I have to restrain myself from using movies as an example every week, but I really like movies, and one of the things that makes a movie a great movie is a great villain. And, and I, I was thinking about the way villains have changed over time in movies. When you go back to older movies, it was always really easy to tell who the villains were, whether it was because of the, the clothes that they wore. I mean, after all, when Darth Vader appears on the scene, nobody thinks, well, maybe he's the good guy. You know, nobody thinks that. The clothes that they wore, uh, the ominous music that was played, the maniacal laugh. And, and so it was really easy to tell who the villains were. But over time, it seems like Villains now in movies and stories are much more true to life. And that's one of the things that makes movies now so engaging, I think. I found this list online of what makes for a great villain. And there were some interesting points that this list made. But the most interesting to me was the first one, that he's convinced he's the good guy, right? And that's what makes a, a villain engaging because no, nobody in real life thinks that they're the bad guy. Even if they really are a bad guy, even if they really are a villain, they don't think that they're the villain. They think that they are the good guy. And in real life, sometimes it's very difficult to tell who the villains are because not only are they convinced that they're the good guy, Sometimes we are convinced that they are the good guy. It's very difficult sometimes to tell in real life who the villains are. Who is it that's standing opposed to the church, to Jesus, to the truth? And, and that's why this series this month is so incredibly important because some of us need to be able to acknowledge that there really are villains. There really is evil. There really are people who are opposed to Jesus and to truth and to the gospel. But we also need this series because we need to be reminded that although there are villains, there is no need to despair because Jesus wins. And that's what the book of Acts teaches us. The book of Acts shows us these different people who very much are real-life villains, who stand opposed to Jesus and to the truth, who are really very much aligned with, not Jesus, but aligned with the evil one, aligned with Satan, and they oppose all things that are good and right and true. But every single time... Jesus wins. Every single time, Jesus triumphs. So we need both of those realities, don't we? We need, on the one hand, to understand that evil very much is real. 
There are people who stand opposed to goodness and to God and to Jesus and to truth, but we also need the truth that Jesus is victorious, that Jesus reigns as king and Jesus will always reign as king and nothing will stop that because Jesus is unstoppable. And that's what we've been talking about all year this year. Today's villain that we're going to talk about is Agrippa, Herod Agrippa. Now, Agrippa has this interesting backstory, as all villains do, and and it's important for us to understand a little bit, so let me try to go into a little bit of detail about Agrippa's history and his backstory before we meet him in the book of Acts. Herod Agrippa is the grandson of Herod the Great, And Herod the Great actually assassinated his own son, Agrippa's father, because he thought that he was disloyal, and so he put his own son to death. And after Agrippa's father was killed, he was sent to Rome to be educated in Rome amongst the elites in Rome. And in Rome, Agrippa really learned to play the game. You know what I'm saying? He learned how to win friends and influence people. He learned how to use his money and his wealth and his influence to, to buy friends. In fact, he probably learned it a little too well because before long he had squandered everything he had and he was dead broke. He had nothing. And so he depended on the generosity of family and friends and he just kind of went around and mooched off different people. Until eventually, someone overheard him saying that he wished that Tiberius Caesar would die and that Caligula would become emperor. Tiberius wasn't too fond of him saying that, and so he arrested Agrippa, and Agrippa was imprisoned for quite some time until Tiberius did die, and Caligula did become the emperor, and Caligula kind of liked Agrippa, and so he bestowed upon him the rank of king. And so now he's gone from being broke to being a king, and he goes back home, and his sister Herodias and her husband, Herod the Tetrarch, didn't like the fact that this guy that used to be a deadbeat and used to mooch off of them all the time, now all of a sudden outranked them, and now he's a king. And so Herod the Tetrarch and Herodias, they decide they're going to go to Caligula, and they're going to tell him, this isn't fair, we don't like this very much. But Agrippa knows that's what they're going to do, and so he sends letters to Caligula and says, well, you know, they're really traitors. Herod the Tetrarch is a traitor, and so the letters got there before Herod got there, and and so Caligula, the emperor, stripped him of his title and gave it to Agrippa. And so again, Agrippa comes out on top. Again, he knows, he knows how to play the game. And so now he has more rank and he has more honor. Caligula is murdered. And so Agrippa, again, finds an opportunity to be part of his friend Claudius becoming emperor. And so now Claudius becomes emperor and Agrippa is awarded with all of the land that used to belong to Herod the Great. And so here, Herod Agrippa rules over this big property, this this much land. He has all kinds of title and influence and power, and he rules Judea with generosity. But but he's really a, a people pleaser. He likes to keep the people happy. They're convinced that he honors God, that he's one of them. The Jewish people really like Agrippa, and they think he, he follows the law and he honors God. But Luke, through the book of Acts, helps us to realize that he's just really a crafty politician, right? He's really just a crafty politician. In fact, he's only interested in pleasing and protecting 
himself and his power and keeping what belongs to him. He's violent and he is a people pleaser. He is self-serving and he is an enemy of the truth. So that's where we pick up Acts chapter 12 and verse 1. About that time, Herod the king laid violent hands on some who belonged to the church. He killed James, that is James the apostle, the brother of John with the sword. And when he saw that it pleased the Jews, he proceeded to arrest Peter also. This was during the days of unleavened bread, and when he had seized him, he put him in prison, delivering him over to four squads of soldiers to guard him, intending after the Passover to bring him out to the people. Again, he's a people pleaser, and he's self-serving, and he's violent, and he's ungodly, and he's doing this. He kills He kills James, and he intends to kill Peter. Why? Because it pleases the people. And so he wants to do whatever is going to win him the favor of the people and keep him in charge and keep him in power. He murdered one apostle and is about to murder another. Verse 5, so Peter was kept in prison, but, listen to this, earnest prayer for him was made to God by the church. Now, when Herod was about to bring him out on that very night, Peter was sleeping between two soldiers bound with two chains, and sentries before the door were guarding the prison. And behold, an angel of the Lord stood next to him, and a light shone in his cell. He struck Peter on the side and woke him, saying, get up quickly. And the chains fell off his hand. Now, one apostle has been executed, and another apostle has been imprisoned, and they know that he is going to be executed. And what is the church doing? What is the church doing when the church once again is being persecuted? What is the church doing when once again a powerful politician is out to get the church? What is the church doing? The church is praying, praying. Now that's not to say that's the only thing the church could do. I mean, they could could appeal to Herod. But they weren't trusting in their own power. They weren't trusting in Herod's greatness or goodness or generosity or grace. They were praying. They were praying earnestly because they believed that that was the most effective thing they could do. And the church always has to remember this, don't we? In fact, the first step to apostasy, the first step to leaving the faith is is believing that prayer isn't effective or that prayer isn't the most effective thing we can do. When someone in charge is trying to kill and destroy God's people, the most effective thing we can do is pray. The church is praying earnestly because that is the most effective, the most powerful thing we can do because we know and we believe that Agrippa is not in charge. We know and we believe that Jesus is in charge and Jesus proves he's in charge because even though Peter is in prison, now an angel of the Lord has come to free him from prison. Verse eight, and the angel said to him, dress yourself, put on your sandals, And he did so. And he said to him, wrap your cloak around you and follow me. And he went out and followed him. 
But Peter didn't know that he was, what was being done by the angel was real, but thought he was seeing a vision. I mean, Peter must have been sleeping pretty hard, right? I mean, you, you've been that way with a teenager, maybe. You try to get them out of bed, and they're dressed before they even know they're up, you know? And so he, he's kind of in a daze, and he, he thinks maybe he's seeing a vision, and, and he's following the angel, but he's still kind of groggy, and he thinks, oh, this is a really vivid dream. But it's not a dream. It's really happening. He just doesn't know it yet. Verse 10 When they had passed the first and the second guard, they came to the iron gate leading into the city. It opened for them of its own accord, and they went out and went along one street, and immediately the angel left him. And when Peter, finally, came to himself, he said, now I'm sure that the Lord has sent his angel and rescued me from the hand of Herod and from all the Jewish people were expecting. Jesus is in charge. Jesus is in charge. The most effective thing the church can do is pray. The most effective thing the church can do is pray. Jesus freed Peter from prison. No prison, no prison, no amount of guards, no powerful king. No swords, no spears, no shields, no, no armory, no, no bars, no chains can hold God's people against God's will. Amen? No prison can hold God's people against God's will. If it be God's will that I be imprisoned, then it be God's will. But if it not be God's will, then no prison can hold me. No no power can stand against God. God is in charge. Jesus is in charge. And the most effective thing the church can do is pray. The most effective thing the church can do is pray. Verse 12, when he realized this, he went to the house of Mary, the mother of John, whose other name was Mark, where many were gathered together and were praying. And when he knocked at the door of the gateway, I love this part, a servant girl named Rhoda came to answer and recognizing Peter's voice, in her joy, she did not open the gate, but ran and reported that Peter was standing at the gate. I love that. I don't care who you are. That's funny right there. I mean, Peter just got freed from prison. He just made a prison escape, and now he's knocking at the door. He says, hey, it's me. It's Peter. Simon Peter. It's Simon Peter. And Rhoda said, Simon Peter? Is that you? Oh, that's awesome. And she runs back into, and he, wait, wait, and he's still knocking at the door. Wait, you didn't let me in. And, I'm sure he's afraid the guards are right on his heels and he's going to get caught and he's still standing there in the dark knocking on the door. And of course, when Rhoda goes and tells the rest of the church what's happened, they say to her, verse 15, they said to her, you're out of your mind. But she kept insisting that it was so and they kept saying, it's his angel. But Peter continued knocking. And when they opened, they saw him and were amazed. But motioning to them with his hand to be silent, he described to them how the Lord had brought him out of the prison and said, tell these things to James and to the brothers. And then he departed and went to another place. Now, I, I don't know what's, what's more funny or amazing or ironic. Maybe the most ironic part of all of this is this is what they were praying for, isn't it? They, they were praying for Peter's life. They knew that Agrippa was going to put Peter to death. And so they were praying for him to be spared. And then when he shows up at the door, they, they don't even believe Rhoda when she says this is what's happened. They say, well, 
I guess maybe he died and it's his ghost, it's his angel, I don't know, but you're out of your mind if you think Peter's standing at the door. We know where Peter is. Peter's been arrested and Peter's going to be put to death. What have you been praying for? What have you been praying for? When we pray, we should believe. When we pray, we should believe. And maybe, maybe this is a lesson to us too, that maybe we should pray for things that are so audacious, so big, so awesome that when God answers them, we're a little shocked too. Jesus is in charge. And the most effective thing the church can do is pray. That doesn't mean that there aren't villains. There are still Agrippas in the world, aren't there? There are still powerful people who stand opposed to Jesus and to the church who persecute God's people. This is still happening all over the world. And the most effective thing we can do is pray. The most effective thing we can do is pray. Verse 18, now when day came, there was no little disturbance among the soldiers over what had become of Peter. And after Herod searched for him and did not find him, he examined the sentries and ordered that they should be put to death. Then he went down from Judea to Caesarea and spent time there. He put them to death because that's exactly what he was planning to do for Peter. But no prison, no politician, no king, no bars, no chains can hold God's people against God's will. Now, some time passes. We don't know how much time, but some time passes. And Herod was angry, verse 20. Now Herod was angry with the people of Tyre and Sidon. And they came to him with one accord, and having persuaded Blastus, the king's chamberlain, his assistant, they asked for peace, because their country depended on the king's country for food. Now, we can kind of see what's happening in this scenario too, right? Here, here are some people, and Agrippa is angry with them, and, and they need the king. They feel like if the king doesn't provide us with his protection and with his grace, with his food, then we're going to die. We need him. And so now they're going to the king to try to win the king's favor. And again, this isn't something that's foreign to us, is it? How we have this tendency to feel like if, if we don't have somebody in charge that's on our side that's going to help us, if we don't have this powerful person's favor, then we can't survive. And so they go to the king to try to flatter him, to try to build him up, to try to win his favor so that he will provide for them. Verse 21, and on an appointed day, Herod put on his royal robes took his seat upon the throne, and delivered an oration to them. And the people were shouting, the voice of a God and not of a man. Immediately, an angel of the Lord struck him down because he did not give God the glory, and he was eaten by worms and breathed his last. Why do we have a tendency to do this? Why do we have a tendency? Or do we? Do we still have a tendency to heap undue praise upon powerful people? Do we have a tendency to heap undue praise upon powerful people? We have a, a tendency to fear powerful people and to think that powerful people are more powerful than Jesus. We have a tendency to do that. 
And we also have a tendency to heap undue praise upon powerful people. In fact, human beings have had a tendency to deify leaders, to make them not just into leaders, but to make them into gods. And the people on hearing Herod's oration said, the voice of a god and not of a man. Why? Because they wanted to flatter him. They wanted to build him up. They felt like they needed his protection. They needed what he could do for them. Do we still have a tendency to do that? Does anybody know what the the name of the picture, the mural in the rotunda of the, the Capitol building in D.C. is called? It's called the Apotheosis of Washington. The Apotheosis. You know what that word means? It means a human rising to the rank of a God. So in the capital of the the United States Capitol building, in the rotunda, we have this mural of Washington, George Washington ascending to the throne and ruling and reigning along with the gods of Roman mythology. And we call it the apotheosis of Washington, Washington becoming a god. And you say, Wes, why do you hate George Washington? I don't hate George Washington. This isn't a criticism of George Washington. This is a criticism of our tendency to hear the voice of people and say, that's the voice not of a man, but of a god. It is our tendency to flatter our leaders It is our tendency to put our leaders on a pedestal. It is our tendency to heap undue praise upon people. Why? Because we're not trusting in Jesus to rule and reign. And when we don't trust in Jesus to rule and reign, we have the tendency, I have the tendency, you have the tendency to fear or to flatter human leaders. We have this tendency to deify people because we're not trusting in Jesus. But listen to the way Luke sums up this whole section on Herod Agrippa, verse 24. But the word of God increased and what, church? Multiplied. But the word of God increased and multiplied. This chapter began with Herod executing an apostle and planning to execute another one. This story begins with this powerful leader, this powerful, shrewd politician who put himself in charge, who maneuvered his way to the top and now is persecuting God's people for the pleasure of the masses. But guess what? Jesus wins. Jesus wins. Jesus always triumphs. That doesn't mean that Agrippa wasn't a villain. He was a villain, but he didn't win. The word of God increased and multiplied. And church, we have to embrace this truth deep down in ourselves. We have to know that, yes, there are evil people, but Jesus will be victorious always that no prison can hold God's people against God's will, that no one can triumph over Jesus, that we've read the end of the book, we know how it ends, Jesus wins. And over and over and over again in the book of Acts, this this is what we're supposed to learn as we read the book of Acts, 
That as the word of God goes out and people come to Jesus, there are people who stand opposed to the vision and the mission of Jesus. But Jesus wins anyway because Jesus is unstoppable. His mission is unstoppable. His vision is unstoppable. His people are unstoppable. And that's good news for us, isn't it? Because it means no matter who's in charge in this country or another country, no matter who's in charge around the globe, Jesus is the one who's really calling the shots. Jesus is the true king. Jesus is the king of kings. Jesus is the Lord of lords. And his kingdom is forever. He is unstoppable. There is only one God. And there is only one man who speaks with the voice of God and not of man, and that is Jesus. And he is unstoppable. And that's why when you have faith in Christ, when I have faith in Christ, when we have faith in Christ, you have no need to fear or flatter the powerful and ambitious. There will always be powerful and ambitious people, and our tendency will either be to fear them unduly or to flatter them unduly. But when we have faith in Jesus, we have no need to fear or flatter those in charge. We have no need to fear or flatter the powerful and ambitious. This is, this is what the first century church shows us over and over again. They honored the people in charge. They did. They honored kings and governors. They honored the emperor. But they refused, refused. Upon their death, they refused to worship them as gods. I refuse to give you the glory and honor that belongs exclusively to King Jesus. They refused to worship them as gods. They appealed to them for mercy, but they did not fear their wrath because they knew who was truly in charge. This is the confidence that we have. This is the confidence that we have that, that no news cycle should ever be able to shake. No matter what happens in this country, no matter what happens in the world, we know that Jesus is king. And those who know that Jesus is king know that the most effective thing that we can do is pray. Trust in him. And when you trust in him, when you fear him, you have no need to fear or flatter the powerful and ambitious because we know who is king and we know who is unstoppable. And maybe there's somebody here this morning and you're ready to put your faith in Jesus by, by being buried with him in baptism, by committing yourself to him so that you can know from this day forward you can know from this day forward that if you align yourself with Jesus, you are unstoppable. You will live forever. You have no need to fear those who can kill the body because Jesus will and has given you life. And if you're ready to receive that gift, or maybe, maybe you just need to pray with somebody because it can be scary, can't it? Maybe there are things happening in your life. Maybe the things happening in our country. Maybe the things happening in our world have you frightened. And that's okay to admit. I'm scared. And you need your brothers and sisters to come alongside you and pray for you 
and pray with you. We would love nothing more than that. Our shepherds would love to pray with you in the prayer room, or we can help you any way we can as you come forward as we stand and sing.